Chris, welcome to episode 182 of X-Lapsed, and uh, well, uh, right now X-Lapsed is fully vaxxed. I, I just got back from getting my second uh, COVID vaccine, and you know, um, I heard a lot about the second shot. Um, people saying that it really, really took it out of you. Like, if the first one didn't, the second one would. You know, it's a, it's a, God, it packs a bigger punch, and it just puts you, you know, puts you down for a bit, or has the potential to put you down for a bit. And I'm not sure if it's the uh, the power of suggestion or if it's legit. But uh, I tell you what, I'm feeling it. <laughs> I'm really kind of feeling it here. Uh, no sooner did I get the injection than I got like a, not not so much lightheaded, but just like a like a whoosh kind of feeling. And uh, everything kind of is slow. <laughs> everything is slow right now, but. I ask you this, what better state of mind to be in to talk about an issue of Excalibur than to be just a little bit out of sorts? Um, let's hop right in. Now, this is Excalibur Volume 4, Number 19, and a May 2021 cover date. The story is called Wild Violets, written by Teeny Howard with art by Marcus Tell. Colors, Eric Arshinaga, letters, VCs, Ariana Marr, designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Bisa White Sabolski, cover price $4.00. This one went on sale March 24 of 2021. I suppose I could start by uh, mentioning the cover here, which I think is the first of two covers this month that has Psylocke and Betsy Britton fighting. I mean, we get to... We see that a lot, don't we? Maybe a little too much. But uh, that's the cover. That's the cover we get today. And it actually does play off what we're going to see in the book. So we open it up, and we are on Earth 13059. And I'm already trying to stifle a groan. Um, here we revisit with Elspeth Braddock, the Captain Britain of this realm. Now she's sat inside a circle of candles attempting to track down our 616 version via sorcery, or um, in the words of the book, her focused totality turned inward. Now, you know, anytime we happen across a designated Earth, I always run it through the wiki to see if it's a brand new Earth or one that we might have seen before. Turns out, this one already existed. Um, this one first appeared in Extreme X-Men Volume 2, Number 9, January 2013 cover date. And uh, now this isn't the uh, Claremont version of Extreme X-Men. This is basically uh, like taking the reality-hopping concept of Exiles and giving it a, well, at least in theory, a more sellable title in uh, Extreme X-Men. Now, this Earth is sort of a fantasy realm, or a uh, Tolkien-styled uh, realm, to use the wiki parlance, uh, that was controlled by the tyrant Lord Xavier until, uh, I guess, Dazzler killed him or something. It's been ages, at least uh, 
was that 2013? So at least eight years, or I guess at most eight years since I read that Extreme X-Men volume. Anyway, uh, Elspeth is uh, somehow able to locate our Betsy. Now, she's bouncing from one reality to another, and uh, for some reason appears to be trying to evade the rest of the Betsy Corps. An Earth-13059 version of Nightcrawler bursts into the room to see what's the matter, and it looks like Elspeth actually was successful in capturing the essence of our Betsy, and it's in the form of a glowing purple orb, because, well, of course it is. So next stop, the, uh, well, the friggin' Citadel and Otherworld, of course. Uh, now, the Betsy Britton Corps is here in full force, demanding access to the court chambers so that they, they can send Betsy's essence back to our Earth in order to, quote, restore her cleanly body and soul. Now, Saturnine, well, she's, she, she's not very cool. She ain't having it at all, and she does not grant them access. And so, the Corps decides that they'll deliver the Essence, which is being housed in a lantern, to Earth via the Krakoan Gateway in Avalon. And I know I joked about Betsy becoming a Star Sapphire a few issues back, but uh, this feels a little bit on the nose, doesn't it? Now, it's worth noting, among these Betsies is that Queen version we saw our Betsy take the place of an issue or two back. So, uh, she's a legit member, which... Shouldn't really be a surprise, but I, a little details like this are very appreciated. And uh, it's probably not even worth saying, there is no editorial footnote to remind us of this fact. From here, double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters today include Betsy Britton, Rogue, Gambit, Jubilee, Richter, Captain Avalon, Gloriana, Megan, uh, and Psylocke. From here, we hop into an info page, and it's from the Grimoire of Richter. Now, it looks like he's trying to figure out how to position everybody to conduct the spell to unite Betsy's essence with the empty black market clone of Betsy that that weirdo Jamie Braddock procured for Mr. Sinister. And it doesn't look like it's going well. Uh, the page here, it looks like a page out of his book, of course. It's covered with scribbles and notes and, uh, you know, plan A's, plan B's, plan C's. Uh, and this is a really good way to show that Richter is still new to this whole magic casting nonsense and still has a lot to learn. So... As little as the whole magic angle does for me, I appreciate little bits like this that show that, I mean, so often when we have characters discover powers or skill sets or talents, they're just immediately good at it, right? Here we have Richter, who is still has a lot of room to grow into this role as a druid or as a whatever the hell, a caster of magic. Um, and so we pop back into comics and uh, we're, I'm guessing, with the Excalibur Lighthouse. Now, Betsy's black market bod is laid out on the table, which I take it to be the same one we saw running around last issue doing all that weird stuff until Quanan showed up to take her down. So, um, anybody out there with the X-Lapsed Caliber bingo card, this is the part where I ask, hey, did we miss an issue? Because I don't recall seeing the black market Betsy get subdued, so to speak. Um, Quanan kind of just pushed her over. I thought we were going to see a fight. This, uh, this issue, and I mean the cover, shows a fight, so I was assuming we were going to see Betsy and Quanon fight. Um, but no, we are going to get more into why she was running around doing all that weird stuff at the end of the last issue, so don't you worry, we will get there. Now, at the head of the table is Betsy's beautiful blonde British brother, Brian, who is holding the lantern full of Bet's essence. Uh, around the table are the remaining members of our cast, Gambit, Wolverine, uh, not Wolverine, he's, this is the one book he's not in, Gambit, Rogue, Jubilee, Richter. Um, Richter is growing more and more frustrated that this spell isn't working. 
Quanon suggests that, hey, you know what? Maybe there's someone here who's trying to sabotage the spell. Now, who could she be referring to? Well, she's referring to Betsy herself. And so she kicks the purple lantern off the table, shattering it. The Bet's essence, now freed, escapes through the Krakoan gateway back to Avalon. Now, while everybody else is freaking out, Quanon calmly states that she will go after her former bodymate. Brian Britton asks if he can come along, but is shut down. Quanon has to do this alone. And so she does. Next stop, Avalon. More specifically, Jackdaw's Nest. Holy smokes, Jackdaw. Now, for folks who have taken a look at the X-Lapsed Origins articles over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com, you will be very familiar with Jackdaw. Now, this is a pretty deep cut, so kudos to Atini for this one. Now, unfortunately, none of these Jackdaws are dressed nearly as radically as the one that we briefly knew. Anyway, the bouncing ball of Betsy has escaped here and has dove down a well. Quinnon calmly ever so calmly, saunters up, informs the jackdaws that she's here to help, then follows the purple stuff into the well. At the bottom lays a Betsy corpse in full Captain Britain regalia. Quinnon realizes that this is all an illusion and pushes herself through the brick wall at the bottom of the well. This brings her into a hallway which has another Betsy corpse laid out on the floor. She calls out, and finally, Betsy shows herself. Now, in a bit of a role reversal, it would appear here as though Quanan is more at peace with their twisted history than Betsy is. Uh, Betsy just doesn't seem to want to face it, whether that's due to some sort of guilt or something she just doesn't want to have to think about, I couldn't tell you. But, you know, I tell you, for a story as played out as the Quanan x Betsy story has been, I appreciate any new twist that we're given, so thumbs up. And so... Over the course of the next couple of pages, the two Psylocks sort of kind of fight, until Quanon can convince Betsy that she actually didn't lose during the semi-recent Festival of Swords. And I mean, technically, at least as far as the bout itself is concerned, she, she did lose, because if you remember, Iska the Unbeaten shattered her into millions of Betsy bits. But we're talking bigger picture here, which is... That in picking up the Starlight Sword, Betsy became the face of the Captain Britain Corps. Now, Betsy was completely unaware that any of this was real. She knew about it, but thought it was just a dream or a vision. Didn't, couldn't imagine that it was actually fact. Quanon then takes the Bet's essence into her own body, and together, they return to the lighthouse. Now, as this happens, the Betsy stained glass in the Starlight Citadel comes back together, much to her royal Winus's dismay. Info page, The Ballad of the Violet Stranger. Now, this is either a poem or a song written by the Jackdaws in honor of Quanon, and no, we're not going to read it. Back to the lighthouse, where Brian Britton is getting a bit froggy. He'd like to participate in this hunt for the bet's essence. He and Gambit get into a bit of an argument, which is thankfully cut short by the return of Quanon. And she's carrying the Starlight Sword. She explains to everyone that, at present, she is both Quanon and Betsy. She walks over to the black market Betsy and places the starlight sword in her hand. Then, Betsy wakes up and starts gagging. Hmm, she manages to spit out a very familiar piece of jewelry. A choker. A choker that belongs to Malice. 
Now, with Betsy's essence restored, there's no longer room for Malice to lurk, and so she escapes. We wrap up with our team worried that anybody on Krakoa might right now be possessed by Malice. Next episode, we go back to King and Black, following up on the Marauders' mission from their one-shot in Savage Avengers number 18. But for now, let's talk a little bit about this issue of Excalibur, which, uh... I didn't, I didn't hate, <laughs> I didn't dislike it uh, Sure, there were a lot of the same, you know, bugbears that I have about uh, Excalibur in this issue We have scenes that kind of just start and end Really not uh, transitioning to what's next to come They just kind of stop Like we have, uh, we have the Betsy core They've got the lantern full of the Bet's essence And then it's just like, well suddenly Betsy's on the table You know, she, it the transitions are just, they're still lacking I mean, that's uh, that's been one of my main complaints about this series Ever since we started it Another uh, big complaint that I have is that uh, Feels like we missed an issue um, A lot of uh, Teeny Howard stories seem to be told off-panel You know, um, we had Quanon show up We had the face-off last issue And uh, suddenly it's just over You know, we didn't get to see any sort of fight Um Maybe they didn't want to waste our time with the fight Considering it wasn't actually Betsy in that body um, I really couldn't say But it still felt a little bit disjointed When I saw the uh, the black market Betsy laid out on the table there I was like, wait a minute You know, I could have sworn we were doing something Before we'd get to uh, Betsy in captivity Or at least restrained It's very odd But uh, certainly not out of character for, uh, for this book Which, again, is kind of PC now let's talk a little bit about Malice here uh, Malice is a character I don't know a whole heck of a lot about I'm sure I've read several stories with Malice in it uh, I know uh, she turned uh, the Invisible Woman into a version of uh, Power Girl At least in the costume department there With the big hole in the, the cleavage hole, right? Uh, how, what do we call that? The boob window <laughs> We had Sue Storm with the boob window there And uh, I think that had to do with Malice I, I, I sure hope it did Because that seems kind of out of character for uh, for Sue But uh, I think that had to do with Malice And what jumps out to me here Is that uh, Malice is known for working with Mr. Sinister, right? And where did Jamie, that weirdo Jamie Braddock Where did he get this black market body from? Well, he got it from Mr. Sinister So I wonder if there's a coincidence there I, I would have to assume That's uh, what we're supposed to be gleaning from this So, uh I gotta wonder, um, does Sinister have any other uh, secrets hiding in the, in the I guess, uh, basement of Bar Sinister? I think that's a, that could be a fun thing to see uh, play out here. I think I'm most excited to see Malice here because it tells me that maybe next issue won't take place in Otherworld. <laughs> maybe it's going to take place actually on Krakoa. Maybe we'll get an issue of Excalibur where we don't have to deal with Saturnine. I, I, I can hardly... Imagine that it's going to actually go down that way But I got my fingers crossed I got my toes crossed I got my eyes crossed I just want to be done with Otherworld for just a little bit But what else do we got here? Um, we have a sort of kind of fight scene between Quanon and Betsy Nothing we haven't seen before uh, A nice little twist on it Like I mentioned during the synopsis Where it seems as though Quanon is the one that's more at ease with their situation Where... Previously, it seemed as though, you know, Betsy had hard feelings She felt guilt, you know She felt very guilty for what had happened Even though it wasn't in her control 
And But she seemed more comfortable with it overall, where Quinan was the one who couldn't let it go. I mean, we had a whole volume of Fallen Angels where, like, every page we heard about butterflies and purple and uh, how they shared the body. And it, it was just, it got to be way too much uh, in Fallen Angels. But here, it's a, it's a nice role reversal, right? We got Quinan is like, hey, you know what? What happened in the past is the past. It happened. We can't change it. But Betsy needs to, uh, you know, she needs to buckle down here. She needs to stop running, stop hiding. And uh, I appreciated that because for such a played out story as the Betsy Quanon mishmash, it's nice to get any sort of uh, fresh coat of paint on it. And this was very much that. So happy about that. Uh, Also happy to see the Jackdaws. I wouldn't have imagined we'd ever ever see them again um and it's odd that i just wrote about them like a month ago and here they are uh really really cool and uh adds to my you know x-men x-lapsed origins uh tagline of uh you know seminal events in x history still relevant today because hey you know it's jack Doe's here he's uh they are relevant at least for the moment we may never see them again but uh it was neat to see them at least today We had uh, two info pages in this issue here, and I usually don't break down the info pages in our discussion segment, but uh, I felt that one actually served the story and one wasted a page. Um, The one that served the story was Richter's Grimoire, right? And I mentioned this during the synopsis. This shows, this illustrates that uh, Richter, he's still a magic neophyte, right? He's got a long way to go before he could be anywhere near on the level of their previous magician in Apocalypse here, because this was Apocalypse's grimoire first. So here Richter's trying to follow in Apocalypse's footsteps here and is realizing that, uh, well, uh, and Sabanoa had some pretty big shoes, right? And uh, there's going to be a lot of learning on the job. It's going to be a work in progress, and it should be. I really, really like that. The other info page, a poem or a song. I... We had, somebody's got to stage an intervention we we got to stop having this kind of stuff in this book They're just a waste of a page I would wager that uh, I'm not a betting man, as I mentioned many times But uh, I would say probably one out of every 25 people that reads this issue Will actually read that page Because, come on Finally, let's talk about the art Or at least mention the art here It's Marcus Toe, it's fantastic It's just really, really pretty work uh, Definitely doing the heavy lifting for this entire run uh, is Marcus Toe. Really, really strong work. I just wish it were a more interesting story more often than not. But that is all I got to say about Excalibur today. Um, but before we go, we do have a stop in the mailbag here. We're going to talk to Evan, who's writing in to discuss New Mutants number 15. He says, I got the old Excalibur feeling in the opening pages of this. Did I miss an issue? We never saw the payoff of magic teaching whoever, Farouk's kids, a lesson, but she seemed pretty chilled out at the wedding reception. Well, yeah, this was a little bit odd because uh, we do, and if you're listening to this episode, you've probably already uh, listened to the next uh, New Mutants episode, uh, issue 16 it would have been. Uh, magic does deal with uh, those kids, and they're just uh, they're just random punks from what I can remember. here. They're not, uh, they're not Farouk's kids, they're just... Uh, they're just jerks, is who they are here. But it did seem weird that uh, that we start the story in one issue and then don't pick up on it until the next, with you know, with a scene in the interim there, which is a total um, mood change, right? It's uh, kind of weird, but uh, but yeah, it will all make sense. It will all make sense. Um, 
Evan continues, I was glad to see Tear mentioned. That X-Factor story was so bizarre. I'm not sure I would have stuck with it had anyone other than Peter David been writing it. As usual, he delivered. It's weird that the five are questioning whether he actually died. Could it be that the Quiet Council has some other reason for not bringing him back? Maybe he's not a mutant. That would certainly be reason enough for the majority, for a majority of the Council to veto his resurrection. Perhaps Elixir is just trying to spare the feelings of his former flame, or avoid a lupine rampage by offering up a different reason. Now, I tell you what, I hope you're right. I hope you're right that uh, there is some sort of a concern over whether or not Tyr is a full mutant or mutant enough to qualify for the resurrection protocols here. I think this is headed somewhere different. I think this is going to be... And I hate to say it because this is something this is something from the Marvel Universe I don't really care for, but I think, I think this is going to lead to an Asgardian story. I think this is going to lead to the New Mutants going into Asgard to find Tyr. Because uh, Tyr, uh, they say he's not dead. They say he's not sure he's dead, so maybe he's in Asgard. And uh, really, I, I, whenever I ask people like to name seminal uh, New Mutant stories, it's usually the Demon Bear Saga and... The stuff in Asgard And so um, I'm really worried that we're going to get an Asgard revisitation <laughs> um, Now let's say that this does have something to do with his uh, mutant pedigree Or an argument about his mutant pe- pedigree here This is another instance where we're kind of fomenting a distrust in the Quiet Council And I mean, we're seeing that kind of a lot You know, several books now have have characters who are given side-eye to the Quiet Council. I mean, we've got a whole X-Men volume coming up that's kind of based around distrusting the Quiet Council in a way, or just maybe not seeing their way as being the right way. We've got Way of X, where Nightcrawler is investigating, you know, some evil that's penetrating people's minds, uh, penetrating the minds of Krakoa. Uh, There's just a lot of distrust. The Hellions, you know, Madeline Pryor not coming back. Here, we have Tyr not coming back. I just worry that every book is going to wind up having their beef with the Quiet Council come out at once. And I worry that that might lessen the impact of the individual concerns, right? Doing it all at once, getting all the questions answered, it might be expedient, right? And it might... It might stifle a few critics who may say that this is dragging on a little bit too long, but I'm not sure I want to see such a dramatic pivot. Now, I'm just freestyling here. I've got absolutely no idea anything about the direction that they might be headed here, but let's take this tear story, for example. If we stack this distrustful moment up next to the others, it's kind of small potatoes compared to some of them, right? It's, I mean, it's still a big deal. It's still someone's kid. But in the grand scheme of things, I think people would look at this as lesser than, you know, Cyclops and Jean Grey breaking off and starting a new X-Men team. Or Madeline Pryor not coming back. Or Kid Cable bringing back Old Man Cable and worrying about the, uh, the protocol rules on time travel and dupes and doppelgangers and alternate reality versions. Then you have the tear story, which is just like, you can see like this page where everybody's just railing at the Quiet Council, looking for answers, and then like at the very bottom you got Rain going like, and, and me son, where's me son? I, I just feel like that is, uh, it would lessen the potential urgency of the story here. But again, don't know where it's headed here. Evan wraps up with, now I just want somebody to explain how Guido got his soul back. Or maybe I don't. 
I like continuity, but I also like Guido not being the king of hell. Well, I haven't read any of this, but I did a little bit of research here. Uh, This apparently happened after a story in the all-new Marvel Now era Thunderbolts, which were issues 21 and 22 of, I think it was Thunderbolts Volume 2 at that point, uh, came out in 2014. And if I'm understanding this right, uh, when that storyline ended, um, Guido remained in hell. He was no longer the king of hell, but he was still without his soul. Okay, so he decided he'd stick around hell until he could get his soul back. From there, he would just reappear in the first issue of Inhumans vs. X-Men. The Marvel Wiki simply reads, quote, At some point, Guido returned to Earth. So yeah... (laughs) That's, that's about that. I, I'm guessing they probably haven't come up with the story yet. Um, but that's what we know as of now. I want to thank you so much for writing in to chat up that issue here. I knew as I was getting going to be getting closer to current that uh, the mailbag was going to dry up a bit because I know a lot of folks are waiting for Marvel Unlimited to decide to drop issues and also uh, they're not collected in the uh, anthologies just yet. We're that far ahead. I can't believe we're getting this close to... No longer X-lapsed, right? We're going to be current. So I knew that the mailbag was going to dry up a little bit. It's really a case of, you know, it is what it is. I'm, I'm just happy anytime I get a message nowadays. It's really, really nice to be able to, uh, to chat. So uh, I want to thank you so much for that. And if anybody else out there would like to chat, please feel free to reach out. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can find me on Instagram at 90sXmen. Or you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You could also talk to us on Facebook. Our little group is 90sXmen. And finally, for all your Chris and Reggie comic chatter needs, go over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available anywhere you find noise. And sound And uh, if you like what you hear Or at least appreciate the effort behind it I would love you to spread the word And share the show It would really, really mean a lot to me Speaking of which It really means a lot to me That you'd spend some of your day with me today So thank you all so, so much And until next time As always I'll talk to you again Real soon See ya Oh